We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. going on everybody welcome back to another episode of oh wait a second the brooklyn nets got another offensive rebound setting the pace i'm your host alex gold and joining me today is michael jerome flachi flachi what a terrible collapse there meltdown as some would say for the end of the pacers against the brooklyn nets bench warmers what a game flachi exactly i don't even know if you can call them the nets i mean this was really you know what felt like no no offense to the g league but that's what it felt like so last night, it was embarrassing. It really was. And I started to think about it. This might have been the most embarrassing loss. I know on paper it says a three-point loss. One of the most embarrassing losses in the last few seasons. And I weighed this up against you know losing to, to Memphis by over 30 points twice last year and, and things like that. Because, Alex, this was the Nets without their top seven scorers, eight bodies overall. And the Pacers blew a 14-point lead in this game. Yeah, that was the bad thing about this. You know, I wasn't able to watch a game live, and I was kind of checking the score here and there. I was at a uh, family Christmas party, um, and, and I kept checking the score, and I kept seeing we were up at like five or six every time I would check. And fourth quarter came around, I think we were up at like seven points at one time, and I'm thinking, okay, we're probably going to close this out. You know, we're just matching everything. Tyrese is having one of those games where he's hitting a lot of shots. And then all of a sudden, I check when I get home from the party, and I see we lose by three points. My jaw dropped. I was completely shocked by this, Fachi. I said, I'm going to have to go back and watch this and see what happened because I was my plan anyway. But the fact that we just fell apart in the fourth quarter, like, that's that, that was just awful. We got off to a really bad start. I think Quinn Buckner mentioned it several times. Tyrese was the only offense we had going there early yep. on. And it's just one of those things where it's just like, I, I look at the numbers at the end of the game and they don't look any, they don't look that bad at all. 
from a from a percentage wise from the starters, but we got to talk about the rebounds, Fachi. The rebounds and the points in the paint. That is where this game was lost. Alex, it really was. And I talked about it when we had coach on the other day. I said, what really worries me is the rebounding because they have the pairing of Jalen Smith and Miles Turner, two bigs out there. You think that would work? I think it would help for the rebounding. It is not. The Pacers lately, I don't know if it's they don't want to rebound, if the effort's not there, if they need to toughen up, whatever it might be. The Brooklyn Nets out-rebounded the Pacers 59-30 to yesterday. Mm. And, you know, two nights ago, whenever you listen to this. But the, the biggest key thing was a 29-7 to edge on the offensive rebounds. Alex, a 29-7 to edge on offensive rebounds. I looked it up. It was the third – 29 offensive rebounds was the third most – by a team in over 20 years. Oh my gosh, that's terrible, Fox. It led to 37 second chance points. This is about one week from letting Zubox get nearly 30 rebounds himself. Yeah. So the Pacers have a major, major problem again uh, 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 rebounding wise. And just to put it in a full perspective, the Nets had more offensive rebounds in the fourth quarter with eight than the Pacers had all game with seven. <laughs> Dude, that's terrible. I mean, honestly, when I was watching the game, I'm just sitting here like early on, Dayron Sharp was just obliterating the boards. Like, I, I was just like, this guy looks like prime Andre Drummond against us, right? Like, everybody knows, like, the Pistons were always this, like, mad team, but they always had the Pacers number. Andre Drummond would just kill us on the glass, and it was just like, oh, my gosh, I can't do nothing. Like, it wasn't like Andre Drummond, like, all-star level Andre Drummond, you know, uh, yeah. performance, but, like, it felt like it just because of how impactful each rebound was. And and you talked about it. You said how many second chance points? 37? 37. That's a that's way too many. And, and one thing that I noticed, too, I didn't go back and check. I started to do it. I think it was at least four or five that I had gone through um, in terms of counting. They had multiple offensive rebounds in the same position. So it's like even if they got one offensive rebound and they missed again, they'd get another one. I'm like, that that's where it's a problem. When you're getting two to three offensive rebounds in one possession, you're not going to win very many games. I mean, it gave them the opportunity to get 15 more shot attempts throughout the game. So at the end of the day, I don't care who's playing for who. You've got to figure this out and win those kind of games. They're playing freer. They've got guys trying to prove themselves. Like Edmund Sumner was lights out in that first half. Camp Thomas finished it out in the fourth quarter, dropping 20-plus points. This was just a game. The Pacers, I think, which it's hard not to do, but I think they just kind of overlooked this Brooklyn Nets team once they saw that their top seven, eight guys were going to be out. I think they did, and that's something that you don't expect from the Pacers because they had been so young and hungry and really have that chip on their shoulder. Carlisle even said it. He said, we just played very poor, and for one of the first times this year, we just weren't together for 48 minutes. It felt like the things were in the right place, but the guys kept coming, and it's just a great win for them and a tough loss for us. And I completely agree because look at some of the names that really killed us. I mean, Daron Sharp, 20 points, 12 rebounds. Markeith Morris, 15 points, 11 rebounds. Edmund Sumner, 21 points, 7 boards, 5 assists. I was happy for him because yeah. I knew what this meant to him. Patty Mills, twenty point, uh, 24 points. I mean, Cam Thomas off the bench with 33. You mentioned he scores 21 in the fourth. For the majority of those players, outside of really Sumner, they had been out of the rotation for the Nets. They weren't even playing. A handful of Mets here and there. They all looked like top 
top elite level uh, players against the Pacers. And it was really frustrating because the Nets shot 52% with their B team, their C team, if you want to call it that. I mean, that should not be happening. 52% without your top seven scorers. I don't even know how that's possible. I mean, that just kind of kind of shows you where this Pacers team is at defensively. They're Oof. just, they're all over the place. And sometimes they get lucky. Sometimes they play better. Sometimes they don't. But like, this is one of those games where if you just go look at the individual rebounds, Flash, you're kind of embarrassed for the Pacers. Oh, yeah. Um, we'll start with the starters. Jalen Smith for the entire game only played 13 minutes. He had three rebounds. Miles Turner played 30 minutes. He as well only had three rebounds. Andrew Nimhart played 32 minutes. Two rebounds. Tyrese Halliburton, 37 minutes, one rebound. Buddy Heald, 33 minutes, four rebounds. So when Buddy Heald is your leading rebounder with the starting lineup, that's a problem. Now let's go to the bench. O'Shea, three rebounds in 19 minutes. Neesmith, three rebounds in 15 minutes. Jackson, two rebounds in 12 minutes. McConnell, two rebounds in 23 minutes. Benedict Matherin led the team in rebounds with seven rebounds for the game in 26 minutes. He was the only one, in my opinion, that was super effective rebounding in this game, especially for his position. But that that's got to change. And, you know, at, at some point, the Pacers have to figure out this rotation because I think it's very important now, Fachi, that we talk about what happened in that fourth quarter. Yeah, I mean, if you want to talk about as it relates to Benedict Matherin, I mean, this is a absolute head scratcher. So the man was plus 12 in the game. He mentioned 13 points, seven boards. He he doesn't start the fourth quarter, whatever. My problem is that he didn't return to the game until the two minute and 40 second mark. What is he doing out there? Not out there for just about 10 minutes. It's, it's such a head scratcher. It feels unacceptable. And in my opinion, that was a big reason why the Pacers end up coming up short. Yeah, I thought maybe when I when I saw that he only played 26 minutes, I thought, oh, maybe he was in foul trouble. Uh, realized he didn't play the start of the fourth quarter, which is not really how that goes. Usually he'll come in in the third quarter, about the six to five minute mark, play the rest of the third. And then a lot of times he finishes out the fourth quarter and he'll get up to 30 minutes in the game, Fachi. Uh, sometimes 32, but like he's always playing a lot. Or maybe he'll come out in the middle of the fourth, come back in. I've seen that a lot too. No, he didn't play at all in the fourth quarter. Until O'Shea Brissett fouled out. Look, I tweeted on Friday when they were playing the Wizards, more O'Shea, less Neesmith. That didn't say more O'Shea, less Matherin, okay? Yeah. I like O'Shea Brissett. I think he's been playing really well. He's shooting the ball really well. Matherin has not been shooting from three uh, very efficiently. But O'Shea has. So I understand giving him that opportunity. But Matherin has been with this closing lineup for uh, – the majority of the season. Why he's not hardly getting any run in the fourth quarter, especially against a, a Nets team that he's played very well against all season long. And he was a leading rebounder in a game they were struggling to rebound. I love Coach Carlisle. I, I think he's done a great job with this team, but that one did not make any sense to me. It really didn't, and it hurt. And you don't want to you don't want to basically say, Oh, they're tanking, they're tanking. But in what world can you justify not playing Matherin for that long in the fourth quarter where you know, things were not really going the Pacers' way. So I just felt like you talked about how he led the Pacers in rebounding with seven. I mean, he was the only guy out there that was rebounding. And I, I believe I could be mistaken, but I got it pulled up right over here. Uh, Benedict Matherin actually, and I just want to make sure I got this 100% correct, led us in rebounding against the Washington Wizards as well. With eight, he tied O'Shea mm. Percet. So you're talking about the last two games. He's been our leading rebounder. 
but we obviously know how gifted of a scorer he is and the energy that he brings. I just feel like him coming, if he could have came in maybe around the five-minute mark, the six-minute mark, something like that, it could make the difference in the game. And just, it's frustrating because across the board, we're talking about Tyrese Halliburton's 35 points, the most as a pacer. But then also, what now really doesn't mean anything, uh, the Patriots finished two three-pointers made shy of their franchise record. doesn't mean anything because they keep setting that franchise record all the time. So on a night where you had that many threes, 20 or 21 made threes, you come up short. That that should not be the case because that used to be a really hard thing to pull off in the NBA, making 21 three-pointers, shooting 47% from three-point land. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think we've talked about this game enough. It was a bad loss, and I think the Pacers will be ready to play on Monday against the Miami Heat. But the Miami Heat have been playing a little bit better. They're 12 and 15. They're a team that's trying to get their record back on track. I mean, this Pacers schedule, Fachi, coming up, it's a Ooh. bit of a it's a bit of a gauntlet here. I'll just run through it really quick. At home versus the Pacers, at home versus Golden State, on the road versus Cleveland, back at home to face the Knicks. Then they're on the road for three against the Celtics, Heat, and Pelicans. Then they're back home for the Hawks, Cavs, and Clippers to round out the month of December. There are no easy games in here, and this is when this could start looking really ugly for the record of the Pacers. Now, I know fans have said, you've been saying that all year, and it's not happened yet, but I'm just telling you, they're playing some really good teams that are playing awesome at this point now obviously there's some teams in there like the heat who aren't great the hawks and the knicks they haven't been great but there's still teams that i think have a very good chance of uh hanging with us so that's one of those things where the pacers are going to take advantage and try to win those games if they want to stay competitive but it's going to be tough thank goodness they got the win against the wizards on friday because that was looking pretty close there for a while no, it really was, and I don't want to be a negative Nancy out here, but look, they beat the Wizards without Bradley Beal, and then they should have beat the Nets without all of their stars, and we're starting to look at the schedule when you really put it under a magnifying glass. The Pacers have a lot of wins against teams that are missing key players, and there was something about that Nets loss that really took a lot out of me as it relates to being like looking at the teams that are just below us in the standings, because now it just feels like you know, we're, we're the hunted, they're coming for us, you know, and this, Mm. this upcoming schedule, it's, it's a little bit scary. And I know you could say we survived the road trip. Is that one way to put it? Or we got (laughs) through the road trip. I mean, I had to end at some point, but we didn't thrive during that West coast road trip. So man, it's, it's frustrating. I want to bring this up before we close out this Nets game. Yeah. This rebounding problem, it's big. So I got a couple stats over here. Look, the Clippers out-rebounded us 62 to 39. That's massive. Then you're talking about both games against the Timberwolves. The Pacers were out-rebounded by 20 rebounds in each of those games. One of them didn't have Carl Anthony Towns. Uh, Then when you look at out of 10 of our 13 losses, we were out-rebounded in those. But when you look at 11 of our 14 wins, we out-rebounded our opponent. So you can see when the Pacers are out-rebounded, I mean, it they stand close to no chance. But then as it relates on the season, we're 26th in the NBA in terms of allowing you know opponents to grab about 46 rebounds per game. We're uh, 28th in giving up offensive rebounds at about 12 per game. Uh, we physically allow the most free throws attempted in the league at just over 29, as well as the most free throws made against us with 21. Mm, that's 20- interesting. 26th in the NBA in points allowed at just under 117 
And we already know that we are the league's worst first quarter team. So I we knew the defense was going to be a, a, uh, a big, big project coming into this year. But the way that the Pacers are rebounding the ball or lack thereof is absolutely making the difference in these games. And I don't know how you can address it because you're, you're, you're looking at, hey, this is kind of the team that we got right now. But the Pacers leading rebounder at Miles Turner at 7.7 rebounds. That's good for 30 third in the NBA. You got Jalen Smith at about 46th overall in the NBA at just under seven. They don't have, or they're not putting in the effort to rebound like other teams are. Yeah. And just quickly, well, since we're on the Nets game, still, I was telling you this off air, like people ask, and you were asking like miles, three rebounds, like what's going on here. And this isn't really an excuse for miles, but it's just something that I think has happened over his career. Being a primary shot blocker, and, and being a team that desperately needs a shot blocker, he is constantly watching the ball to see if a player is going to get beat off the dribble to go protect the rim. That's his job, right? And last night, there was a play. The ball's on the right side of the wing, close to the Pacers bench. The Nets had the ball. Turner was guarding uh, Watanabe. Uh, and, and Watanabe was actually on the opposite side baseline. So you're talking in, in the far right corner. So Turner is playing between his man in the basket and, and, and trying to ball watch as well as the guy starts to drive. I forget who it was. might have been Cam Cam Thomas or, or Patty Mills. As a person starts to drive, Miles slowly starts closing in to try to block a shot if the guy gets beat off the dribble. He pulls up for a mid-range jumper. It comes off the rim. Well, Watanabe was left wide open with no box out because Miles left him to protect the rim, and he got the offensive rebound. This is something, if you pay close attention to, happens a lot of times when Miles steps up to, to watch the ball and make sure he's protecting the rim, his guy gets loose and gets to the glass. So there's got to be a better job there of people rotating when Miles steps up. But Miles also has to realize he can't leave his man every single time there's any action in the paint because there wasn't even action in the paint at this time. The guy didn't get there. So sometimes to me, it's like, let the, let your trust your wing defenders, right? Your, your perimeter defenders to play decent enough defense where they can force a, a mid-range shot and not be so focused on like trying to protect the rim all the time where you're letting your guy get in there for a clean look at an offensive rebound because, yes, you want him to protect the rim. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is you have to find the balance of knowing when to protect the rim at all times versus knowing, hey, I can't leave this guy wide open here because Watanabe is a very uh, energetic player, I guess is the right term. I was wondering how you are going to describe him. Yeah, because, I mean, he's just active on the glass. I mean, that's a good way. He's an active rebounder, I guess you can say, like, very energetic, and, and that's one thing that you you got to make sure you're paying attention to him. Like you can't like let him loose because he will make little plays like that. Very similar to a guy like Jakar Sampson. Mm, man, Jakar, you know I always had a soft spot for Jakar. <laughs> I, I know it didn't work out. I do not know where he is. Uh, I imagine playing overseas now. Yeah, he's but, not in the NBA. Yeah, no. But shout out to Jakar. That was a good throwback. But uh, you know, uh, random off-topic thing. Cam Thomas, I remember when we covered him out of LSU, and we knew that guy was a bucket. Led all freshmen in scoring while at LSU and still fell to the back end of the first round. And, man, when that guy gets minutes, he is effective. It's crazy there's a bunch of games that he either doesn't play or gets about five minutes. But if you ever need a basket, Cameron Thomas can deliver for you. And, unfortunately, the Pacers were on the wrong end of that. But on another note, 
uh, this was you Patriots fans grasping for straws yesterday. I saw more tweets about Terry Taylor than I'd ever seen, where it was just like, you know, we need Terry on the glass. And it's like, look, <laughs> if, if we could just smash the emergency glass, bring Terry Taylor in and get the dub, that would have been awesome. But look, on on a day where the Pacers could not rebound the ball at all. I don't know. Maybe would it could have been cool to see him out there. I'm sure he could have out rebounded some dudes that just had two, but I don't know if that really would have made the difference in in the game. Well, and, and here's the thing: like we heard a lot of talk about Terry Taylor coming into the season. Front office was obsessed with him. You they know, were. we heard great things about him and training camp and stuff like that, and then you know the summer workouts and stuff like that, and how Terry is just like an upbeat guy and he's super efficient and all this stuff. And he's lost his way out of the rotation, Fachi. Like, it hurts. He's not sniffing any minutes Nothing at all at right all. now. And it's kind of like I, I get it to a certain degree. He is in an expiring contract, right? He's an expiring expiring contract year, right? Or a contract year, however you want to say it. But yep. I don't, I don't know. I mean, he's undersized, but he does rebound the basketball. They're having issues rebounding. I understand he's not a three point shooter, but at the same time, if you you know, you can't rebound, and then what's the what's the point? But part of it to me maybe is Isaiah Jackson and him aren't a good fit together. Uh, yeah. Isaiah Jackson's more of a roller where uh, Terry Taylor is probably better used in that kind of uh, spot as well. He's not an outside threat, so if you put him and Ajax out there together, you have two non-shooters out there with T.J. McConnell, so not a lot of shooting out there. And you throw Neesmith into that group as well, it's very inconsistent. But um, we do have to give Neesmith his flowers because yes. I've been – you know, I gave you a hard time for being a hater. You did. You and did. then I kind of took the reins from you, and I've been leading the hate train recently. And, and my bias has been very obvious on this podcast because I've just been very disappointed in his play. But I will say he's played really good. But besides that, I just – Terry Taylor with the starting lineup doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I kind of would like to see Coach Thorpe's suggestion. Start Isaiah Jackson with Miles Turner, see what that looks like, play Jalen off the bench. Maybe you can get Terry out there with Jalen because Jalen is more of a three-point threat than Isaiah Jackson. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It would be interesting. Man, it's, it's, we got to figure some stuff out. We really do. Uh, Just I, like, play I, with it. What's the point of the season if you're not playing with different lineups? I mean, no, no, I, that, that's, Absolutely. I mean, at this point, what do the Pacers have to lose? You're you're 27 games into the season, so I think you're roughly about a third of the year in. We we know this team's not going to stay intact. At some point, they will make moves. So maybe they're thinking the back end of the season they'll do a lot of experimenting. But I think at this point they have to. I know they obviously kind of like that starting five right now with Nemhard being the fifth guy. But we're going to learn a lot when Duarte comes back. We got to figure that out right now. But 
It's it's definitely tough. It's definitely to this team needs a little bit of a shakeup because I think their time kind of surprising the league, I think could be a little bit done. I think now, you know, we even heard coach say the other day, um, Coach Thorpe, they basically said that it takes six weeks to figure a team out. Well, at this point, I think teams are starting to figure the Pacers out, except for that Golden State Warriors win where we really shocked them when we were without a couple guys. And that's probably because they did to us what we did to the Nets. They overlooked us. And I think in the NBA, you just can't afford to overlook anyone. You have to really treat each team as on any night they can win. And now teams are, are thinking, hey, the Pacers aren't that team projected to win 21, 22, 23 games. This team right now, you know, they're, they're playing good basketball. We got to bring our A game. And uh, that's a model that the Pacers should take on every single night. Yeah, and I mean, you said it earlier at the beginning of the podcast, the, we're becoming the hunted, not the hunter. Yep. Carlisle kind of mentioned that he said, you know, we're not we're not sneaking up on anybody cool. anymore. We're a team that, you know, we've got talent for sure, and we play well together. We shoot the ball well. But we got holes to our game, and you can beat us. And that's why so many people were low on this team early on. And I think we were a little bit, um, you know, we undersold the talent we on did. this team to a certain degree. But I think part of that, too, was because we had been told by not only the the, the front office, but the, the players. The players were openly saying, like, Tyrese Halbert's like, please be patient with us. It's going to be a rough year. You know, like, you know, we're all about trying to develop this season. Like, everybody was saying that. Carlisle was saying that, you know. Kevin Pritchard put out, a like, a whole entire statement before the season, encouraging fans to come watch them, even though it's going to be a re, uh, you know, a, a reshaping. I don't want to call it a rebuild because I get mad when we use that word, right? But, you know. When they're when they're trying to go through this process here of like re reshaping who they are as a franchise, so nobody expected this, and now we're just kind of waiting to see how it all plays out because eventually water does find its level, which we've said several times on this podcast. But that's just that. But anyway, I mean, we can quickly talk about this game against the Wizards, Fachi. I know it probably was mixed results for mixed feelings for you with the results here. Mm. Um, just uh, just no Bradley Beal, obviously, like you said, Pacers. Barely pulled it out, but Kristaps Porzingis was killing us early on. Kyle Kuzma does what Kyle Kuzma does against the Pacers, and you know the Pacers eventually had enough to to keep it rolling. And Buddy Hill once again had a terrific game. Yeah, he did. So we'll, we'll start with Buddy. Buddy a season high twenty eight points. He did it on twelve of nineteen shooting, made four threes. I thought he was awesome in there. And then as it relates to Kristaps Porzingis. Porzingis had 20 points in the first half. I believe it was nine of nine shooting. But what weirded me out is there was a lot of times where Buddy was drawing the defensive matchup. Yeah, I was what's like, up with that? I was like, what is going on here? And like in the beginning, I was like, okay, all right, like, he's trying. And then I was like, all right, what are we doing? What are we doing? But the Pacers brought some some more toughness in the second half and really limited Porzingis's touches. I felt like kind of just Porzingis really wasn't a big factor. I guess yeah, just two or four, two exactly. Four. So that was a big difference. And uh, overall, I, I just think that it was nice to see Matherin. You know, eighteen points. I, I think that the Pacers kind of brought, I guess, their A game ish. You know, eighteen to forty one from three <laughs> in that game. So this this was one of those where you're not going to write home about and be like, what a win against the Wizards without Beal. But, you know, it, it was one where Buddy Heald looks like he's getting in a rhythm again. And same thing with Matherin, at least I hope. It looks like those guys have been back to what we expect out of them. Yeah, I mean, Matherin, 8 of 15, like shot a pretty good percentage. I mean, he's been struggling still, but yeah. it was good to see him aggressive early on. You know, what, what's been kind of surprising to me was Jalen Smith the last two games. Yes. yes 12 yes. minutes, that's it, against oh, the seven. Washington Wizards. 0 of 7, three points. 
Uh, and then you fast forward to Saturday's game, 13 minutes. I think he was 5 of 10, if I'm not he mistaken. Was, he was. For how many points did he end up having? I'm not looking at 13. the box score. 13. So you're talking, you know, a pretty a pretty good efficient shooting night, but he did yeah. take eight threes, and that's what's kind of funny. It's like Coach Thorpe was like, all Jalen Smith wants to do is shoot threes, and it's yeah. kind of what he's doing. And, you know, I, I've been I've been talking to people about Jalen Smith and his role, and it just feels like he's a five, kind of being pigeonholed into the four like Miles was, and it's just not producing a lot of great results. I think there's a reason Jalen was compared to Miles coming into the draft, right? They have a very similar game, and I think Jalen, like, he doesn't ever try to go in the low post at all. No. And he's just, like, taking, like, he'll he'll score his points usually on twos when he's a solo five or he gets an offensive rebound. But most of the time he's spotting up almost on every play offensively. I don't know if there's a way they can kind of add some different wrinkles in there like we saw against the Wizards last year when Sabonis was on the team, how they ran some plays for Miles to get him open. I wonder if they could do the same thing for Jalen, just try to get him some different looks because I feel like too many threes from him can be kind of detrimental to his development. I 110% in agreement with you. What we're doing to Jalen Smith is it's it's just – I don't want to say it's not right, but it's not beneficial. It's just there's there's he's that fifth starter right now that's like, yeah, but is he really a starter? Like he's starting games, but not finishing them. And when you're now seeing his minutes dwindle down to 12 and 13 minutes, it's it's tough to see because this is the guy that we all hammered the fist at the tables, basically saying, "What do we got to do? Do we got to give him free meals for life, or or never pay for a you know a bar tab or anything again? Like, please come back." And this is what we do to him. So it's cool that we're, we we named him the starting power forward, gave him the special pen, and everything that goes in between. But it, we, we just can't stick him <laughs> in the corner and say, wait for the ball, and when you get it, shoot. That's just not – it's not the best basketball that he could possibly play. Maybe in the second half, if the Pacers are to, make, to deal Turner, maybe we see him more flourish as that, you know, true solo five. But for right now – you can't just stick him in the corner, play him 12 minutes, and 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 that's that. No, you're right about that. <laughs> I, I I don't know what the exact answer is, but all I, all I could do is think about that special pin once you said it five years, and I lost my train magical. of thought. It, it's, it's <laughs> I mean, you don't just break that out for anyone, so that's why I can't yeah. believe what we're doing to Jalen. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like I think that they envisioned Miles not being on the team, as weird as that sounds. Yeah, because possible. after after they after they signed Jalen, they were looking hard for DeAndre Ayton to join yes. this team. And so their plan was to play DeAndre with Jalen Smith. Now, I'm not sure if they envisioned starting Jalen and playing him a ton of minutes with DeAndre or starting him and giving him the starting role and then staggering his minutes, right? Because we've seen that and we've seen him not finish a lot of games. I just I just feel even when even when Miles hasn't been out there, we've actually finished up games with Isaiah Jackson over Jalen mm-hmm. Smith. So it's one of those things where he just hasn't been efficient enough to really warrant the playing time that he's probably looking for. But at the end of the day, he's in a role where he's still going to be able to get the most reps to develop. We've seen enough good games from him that I'm not upset that he's on the team whatsoever. He's on a really good contract. So, oh, yeah. Big it, you know, you can kind of overlook that <laughs> sometimes when you're just looking at, oh, a starter that's not putting up great numbers. But I also just feel like he's in a lineup where there's a lot of guys that want their own too. Like, and I know like coach Thorpe talked about that with why you should bring Matherin off the bench and not throw him in there. But like, I wonder how much of a difference it would make if Jalen did get more of a, like a different scoring role with the second unit. And 
maybe play him with Nimhard and um, even if TJ McConnell's out there and your Duarte or your Neesmith and Matherin and him, like it might be a little bit of a smaller lineup, but I, I just wonder if maybe he would thrive in that role more than, hey, let me be the second block, you know, the secondary rim defender behind Miles, the guy that's going to shoot threes and shoot them at an inefficient rate. And I'll be semi-effective on the glass, but not as consistent as maybe you'd like me to be. I'm I'm all for it. What do we have to lose at this point? I feel like that that should be something they should experiment with. So you know you're you're right on the contract point though. It's such it's a such a team friendly deal that it's not like you gave this guy twenty million dollars and you're like where is the improvement? You know. So I understand that he he's taking a step back from last year because. Last year, you know, you didn't have Turner in the lineup. He was far more featured. There wasn't a, like a Benedict Mather in there or other guys that needed the ball more. It was that he was, you know, looked at as as one of the go-to options in the starting lineup. So I, I thought that, you know, I understand taking a little bit of a step back, but when you see the 12, 13 minutes, that to me feels like a, a bit of a lack of confidence from the coaching staff to him to say, eh, we're going to, we're going to have you at a minimized role. So I look forward to seeing him flourish. Yeah, I, I do enjoy when he has, you know, better games like we're like, you know, a double, double here or there, whatever it may be. But for right now, it's, it's been a little bit tough to watch at times. Absolutely. Flashy. So, I mean, we talked about these two games. I know we had, you know, maybe thought about talking about the road trip in totality and it's, it's too late now to the podcast is getting to all of that, but mm-hmm. uh, maybe we can, maybe we can save that for the next episode that we do just touch on that for a bit. Cause we never really did give like a conclusion episode on that, but who really cares at this point? I mean, we were two and five had some nice wins, but mostly saw a lot of blowouts. So that's kind of a nice summary there. Like uh, it just wasn't as great as maybe we'd hoped, but could have been a lot worse, but overall, I think we can kind of pivot here to our last talking point for today's episode and probably wrap this up in the next five minutes. There's been some reporting out there. Uh, about some different teams that could be looking to move some players. We know December 15th is quickly approaching. It'll happen this week, and there's players that could that signed in the offseason that can be traded now. But one player that cons- uh, continually uh, is in the trade rumors is Cam Reddish. Some of the Pacers previously had interest in before he was dealt to the Knicks, somebody that me and you both liked as someone to take a flyer on. Tenth overall pick, I believe, by the Atlanta Hawks yep. in in the twenty. What draft was that? Twenty nineteen. Uh, was twenty nineteen. Yep. Yeah. So I mean, he's he's a interesting player. Hasn't really found his spot in any rotation, but there's still intrigue. But the the Knicks don't seem to be asking for much, much. No, they're not, and you never know if these reports are true or not. But apparently, the Knicks are looking for either a second round pick or a young player on a similar contract. Now, my ears perked up when I heard that, and I heard many other, you know, Pacer fans, and when I say heard, I mean I saw it on Twitter, uh, that Cam Reddish has been a player that Pacer fans have been enamored with. We've been intrigued with. We, we felt that we could do him a little bit better than how he was done in Atlanta and New York. And, you know, being out of the rotation completely, he's still young enough. He has that true wing build that Pacer fans have been coveting for a while, but, you know, just has not reach his potential by any means at all now after this offseason he would be going into you know a qualifying offer for restricted free agency so you know there is that you need to factor in but if you're talking about a second round pick or a young player on a similar contract Alex I kind of think the Indiana Pacers have a little bit of what the Knicks might want now what are your thoughts on that 
Yeah, so I mean, I thought the most interesting thing that I saw out there was uh, a player on a rookie contract with a different skill set. So I want to make sure we give yep. credit to who put this out there. This is from Steve Popper. He's a Knicks writer and NBA columnist for Newsday Sports, okay? So he's the one that put this rumor out here. And um, he said, this is not quite accurate. It's the current market, but not the asking price. So he did specify that. This is probably not the uh, the asking price the Knicks are wanting. So I threw out, once I saw the report, Gogo Batadze for Cam Reddish, right? It's a different position. He's a first-round pick. He's in his, you know, final year of his rookie deal. And, you know, there's a there's a chance there that the, the Knicks might have interest in adding another center that can protect the rim. And I think Goga's actually not been bad in the minutes he's played this year. Like, there's mm-hmm. been some rough moments. Like, the moments that he played against the Nuggets when we were at yep. the game together, like, mm-hmm. eh, not a good showing from Goga. Too big of a game for him. But as a second, third-string center, like, I mean, it's not the, the worst person you could put out there. Um, I've, I've liked his screen setting actually better than some of the other centers on the team this year. So that's why I kind of threw it out there. We need a wing badly. And, you know, I was, uh, I don't want to give up too, too much for, for Cam Reddish, Fotch. But if you could be enticed by maybe a Goga and a, a bad second that we have, I would look into it. I, I mean, we need a player that can potentially play the four. I just don't want him to think he's going to just jump in and start taking minutes to the second unit. He's going to have to earn them. And I think Carlisle could be a really good coach for him, and the system could be really good for him, but he's going to have to buy in. Absolutely. And, look, yeah, he's definitely not a shoe-in to just all of a sudden, like, hey, you're our new starting small forward, or you're, you know, you got a big rotation minutes. But at the same point, he's got the skill set that you might want to roll the dice on, take a gamble. Now, as it relates to Goga and a second-round pick, I am very intrigued so right now i just pulled up the next starting roster or not the starting roster, just the roster in general and as it relates to centers isaiah hardenstein was the center that they signed over uh, in the offseason you have mitchell robinson who they re-signed and then you got jericho sims who i know they like who's still young and everything so goga could be a little bit tough over there now i know you mentioned for a different skill set just throwing this out there if it if it came and they were asking for o'shea Brissett. What do you say? Probably not. Um, O'Shea's definitely been better. Definitely been better, but also another guy who's entering free agency. I, I get that, but the thing is you're going to have to pay Cam Reddish. And oh, of course. I don't know what he's worth, right? Neither do I. And that's the that's the big thing. Obviously, you have a price where you put it on him, and you could say the upside is higher for Cam than it is O'Shea, but so far in the NBA, I think O'Shea's proven he's more reliable than Cam Reddish. O'Shea's a good locker room guy. Um, who knows if Cam is or not, but it seems like everywhere Cam goes, the teams are wanting to get rid of him. I mean, two teams and you know, the less than what, 12 months since he's been traded, and they're both trying to get rid of him already. So, you know, I, I like the upside of him, and I know that it sounds crazy to say, well, I wouldn't want to give up O'Shea for him, but I like O'Shea. I mean, honestly, to this point, I think I would almost rather give up Aaron Neesmith for him than O'Shea. I was going to bring that up next. But I don't think I do because Aaron Neesmith, I know, plays better defense than Cam Reddish so far right now. And I know that even though Aaron Neesmith has not been a great three-point shooter, the locker room is something that you have to keep in mind here. And I don't know if I trust Cam Reddish yet to really just 
make a bigger move like this where I'm trading someone that's a part of my rotation for him. Yeah. So as a go get a second round pick, I'm in before I could even blink. All right. I'm getting the deal done. <laughs> All right. Now, as it relates to O'Shea, O'Shea's been real solid for the Pacers uh, over the last, like, since getting like extended minutes. I mean, let's just talk the month of December. He's averaging 10 points per game, five rebounds. He's shooting 51.5% from the field and 50% from three. Wow. And that's, that's the O'Shea that I know and love from a few years ago. 50% so from three. You know that guy? Oh, I mean, I, I I enjoy seeing that guy. <laughs> yeah, that's a little bit better of a word there. Than... It last year, but, you know, a couple of years ago with a minimal sample size, you know, he was, he was like 42%. Yeah. Um, so now when we're looking at Neesmith. Here's where I'm like, I don't know if the Knicks want to do it because of that next year that's on the deal. So you, you're taking on money uh, right over there compared to an O'Shea or a Goga right over there. But then for Cam Reddish, like – it's it's like oh, you, don't kill know, me. you don't know what you're going to sign Cam Reddish for. Like this guy's not looking to do a prove it deal. He's going to go to the highest bidder. So you know you might end up paying a guy off of a half a season sample size that could end up being an overpay. So it, it's a, it's a bit of a tough situation. But I'm I'm very intrigued if the asking price is like two second round picks. Go get a second round pick. Sign me up. I'm sorry for laughing, Flachi. We're good. I'm just laughing because. I started noticing that you say over there and right over there and over there a lot. And you said it twice in that sentence right there. And it just caught me off guard because I was not expecting two of them that close to each other. And, uh, you know, we all have our fallback words and it just makes me laugh. I Why said don't you tell me how much, how often water levels out? All right. So tell me one more time. <laughs> How hey, water finds its level. At least right? I'm not like, well, right over there. Like you even hey, did it in our Thorpe interview, and I was cracking I up. Did. I said, "This is Machi's go-to right here, right over there." My, I almost, I started laughing when I said too too much earlier because I say that all the freaking time. It happens, but it just made me laugh, man. I'm not trying to make fun of you, but it just, I just, it just catches me off guard. It's like right no over worries. there, and over here, you know, and right over where, you know. So it's, because it's I can tell you one thing. <laughs> I will absolutely say absolutely when you tell me to tell everybody where they can find us later on. So just know that's coming too. Right, right over there. It's going to happen. But anyway, Flachi, uh, yeah, Cam Radish in the story. If you can make a small move to get him, do it. If it's got to be something outrageous, don't even worry about it. The next always are going to want more than what they're going to get. That's just the bottom line. Every team wants more than what they're going to get, right? That's what you do when you talk about making a trade. But I think we have a lot of centers here. Someone was trying to argue with me saying, Goga's our third-string center. If I, Jackson, Miles are already hurt, we're in trouble. Well, not really. Jalen Smith can play the five. If you really, really need to get down to the nitty-gritty, Terry Taylor can play the five. Daniel Tice will hopefully be back soon. If he's still on the roster, he can play the five. You got a lot of centers, Fachi. I'm not, I'm not worried about moving off of one of them, especially a guy in the final year of his contract that does not seem to be a long-term piece for the Pacers. I'm really not. So I, I think that we have to be looking at, you know, some of those options of those smaller deals that are very uh, low risk. I don't want to say high reward, but just low risk deals to try and evaluate this team. And I think Goga is someone who could probably benefit from a change of scenery. I think that goes without saying. And, you know, we've it's not that we haven't put in the time. We put in a couple of years with Goga. If it ain't happened by now, it's probably not going to happen here. Yeah, you're right about that, Fachi. So I think this is a good time to, Conclude the podcast. Let's quickly get to it. Tell the people where they can find us at on social media. 
Absolutely. So you can find us on Twitter at setting the pace three. You can find Alex on Twitter at Alex Golden NBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F A C C I. You can find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. You can find us on Facebook at setting the pace. You can find us on TikTok at setting the pace. And Alex, tell them where they can check us out on YouTube. Absolutely. You can check us out on YouTube at youtube.com slash setting the pace, a Pacers podcast. And right over there, you guys can just subscribe, listen to all of our shows. You know, our numbers. Really good for the Tyrese episode. Not as good for the rest of them. So get those views up. Watch the blue and gold. Subscribe. Let us know what you think. But Fachi, if you're hoping the Pacers get back on track and pick up a dub against Jimmy Butler and the Miami Heat, then say these three words. Let's go Pacers! Right over there. Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast. Sweeping every team. We gonna need a mop. Smooth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.